Blog Talk Radio. edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and this is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and welcome to those of you who are joining me over there at the Blog Talk radio chat room. I see that we have Richard Selfishness, Roger, Just Jean, Jonathan Honig, who's been Proven Right this week with one article that we're going to talk about in today's show. Harry Grab, welcome. Arjun, nice to see you. A couple guests. Other people are filtering in as we do the beginning of the show refresh that Blog Talk apparently requires. Yeah, so welcome everyone. Today I have for you what I would call a an alliterative show title, right? I've got another alliterative show title And this one is basically giving you an eclectic ensemble of edification. And so if you can guess that, that the letter for today is E. What we've got on the agenda are electors, Edward Snowden, environmentalism and education. And I'm even going to give you a bonus topic beginning with E, and that's energy as in department of If you go to the blog at don'tletitgo.com, you can see all of the program notes. My very ambitious list of program notes, which sometimes happens over here on this show. Even though I'm doing two shows in a week, I've still got this huge list. But I think you'll enjoy the show. So go over to the blog, don'tletitgo.com. Check out all the program notes. See if there's a topic that you want to chime in on. If you want to chime in, the place to do it, of course, is at the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio, but you can also call in 760-888-5817 is the number, 760-888-5817. And if you do want to talk, go ahead and press the one button, and then I'll know that you're in the queue and that you actually want to you know, chime in on the show, not just listen. Some people call in just to listen, and they sit there on the, on the switchboard, and that's fine as well. Okay. Oh, some people are having sign-in problems. They're saying over there at Blog Talk. Yeah, sometimes it does happen that way. Sorry. And I don't know if I'm ever going to end up going over to a different platform. There's been some talk of having me try out a different platform with High Road producers. And there's someone else that has been messaging on Facebook that wants to maybe try out a different platform as well. So I will keep you posted. The place to always keep posted on those types of developments is over at the blog at don't let it 
com. Just go ahead and sign up uh, for an email update every time I post, and then you'll, you know, always know what's going on with the show and everything. Okay, so let's get into our program notes. Uh, the first story is really just kind of an update on what we were talking about on Monday with respect to the latest attempt to undo the results of this presidential election. As you may know, if you've been watching the news, there has been a campaign pushed by the Democrats, and of course it's being helped along by the mainstream media as well. What they'd like to do is they'd like to sway the electors of the Electoral College to change their vote and not vote for Trump if they are as a, you know actual designated electors for Trump. As I understand it, I think Ed updated me on Facebook. He said that in the latest count, there are maybe as many as 20 electors who have either decided to or are seriously considering changing their vote from Donald Trump. So the first article that I've got for you is a piece by the New York Times, and it's, of course, aiding in this effort to sway the Electoral College to change their vote, how, you know, how they're saying, in effect, that our election was hacked by the Russians. The headline of this story published today is The Perfect Weapon, How Russian Cyber Power Invaded the U.S. And it is a very detailed piece talking about what are the weaknesses within the DNC that allowed the hacking to occur, what are uh, the weaknesses also within the FBI and maybe the administration in terms of the response to this hacking, some inadequate response there. Uh, I should actually go over to my, um, my Facebook because what we've got over there is a comment from Ed where he was talking about you know, the, you know, the, the merits and the demerits of, of this article, but it's a very long piece and they go into a lot of technical detail about this occurred. Uh, but the, th- the question that you have here, right, the question that you have is, was the hacking carried out at the behest of the Russian government, right? And that's one question, right? Was it really carried out on the behest of the Russian government? Yeah, they slap a picture of Putin into the article, But does that mean that the hackers were really officially working for the Russian government? This is something that I think you can still seriously call into question. And I don't think that this article establishes uh, a real connection between the hackers and, you know, the, the Russian government that is certain at all. So there's that question. Then the second question is, how much damage did this particular hack do? Right, the hack that they're talking about, or actually, there's a couple hacks. You know, a hack into the DNC and then a hack into, um, you know, also the Podesta emails. Right? Um, what you know, what damage did those do with respect to the election versus, for example, the emails that Ed was talking about on Monday that Judicial Watch got a court to order released to the public, the ones that were really, really damaging against Hillary Clinton, right? So you you want to really look critically at this issue. And in the beginning of this piece is when they were talking about, you know, in effect, the link between 
the hackers and the Russian government. So let me let me get to that part of the article because I think that's the key thing to look at here. They say an examination by the Times of the Russian operation, which is based on interviews with dozens of players targeted in the attack, intelligence officials who investigated it, and Obama administration officials who deliberated over the best response, reveals a series of missed signals, slow responses, and a continuing underestimation of the seriousness of the cyber attack. So this is not you know, all of those things that they're mentioning there aren't themselves any substance about undermining the election. It's just people didn't respond properly. Uh, they said the DNC had a fumbling encounter with the FBI and they didn't halt the Russian intrusion early enough. Um, they didn't realize the scope of the attacks, et cetera. Um, and they talk about all of the fallout. But let me get, because... Yeah. So this is what they say. Well, yeah, they don't know the ultimate impact of the attack, right? There's other things that were also important uh, as well. Um, They say this is a, a, now there is somebody that they quoted, an Admiral Michael Rogers. He's the director of the NSA commander of the Cyber Command. He said at a post-election conference, quote, This was not something that was done casually. This was not something that was done by chance. This was not a target that was selected purely arbitrarily. And he said, quote, this was a effort by a nation state to attempt to achieve a specific effect. Now that's a conclusion. And what we'd like to know is we'd like to know on what evidence that conclusion was based. Because in the article, they talk about linking this to particular hacker groups within Ukraine and Russia. But again, the question is, are, were they operating on the behest of the Russian government or were they doing something that they were motivated to do for some reason on their own? And this is not what I seem to be getting from this piece. I'd be interested to know, of course, what Ed thinks. And I don't know if Ed's going to have time to call in today and I didn't arrange it. He may have decided that he's too busy. Let me see if I have, no, I don't have anything from that area code. I do have a couple callers that I'm going to go ahead and take in a second. But really, those are the two questions. And I don't see a definitive link in this Times piece. They just talk about, you know, basically a lot of detail about how this was carried out, right? They're giving you all this interesting information about how the attacks were carried out. There was this phishing that was done and everything. And you can read everything about the phishing. I've also got a second article that my friend Tammy Lefko sent to me. So thanks, Tammy, talking about the phishing in particular. Um, But, you know, they talk about how the media spread it and everything else. But in terms of establishing a link between the hacker groups and the Russian government and also establishing the extent of the damage from this hacking as opposed to other sources of revealing information, damaging information about Hillary Clinton and her campaign, this is what the New York Times is not able to do right they're just they're just not able to do it uh you know they say a computer system belonging to the dnc had been compromised by hackers named the dukes they it's a cyber espionage team quote linked to the russian government linked how in what way right all they say is linked to the and is it linked all uh, for all time or maybe they were linked at one time in the past for one particular thing but not now you know we don't know that this was done on behalf of 
the Russian government. And that's the thing that they need to establish. So, you know, check that out. We are going to keep watching this story. If Ed is right, as is, it was his prediction on Monday, we're going to see this story sort of go away after next Monday when the electors do their job. And then, of course, we get to wait for a while to see, um, you know, what the result is going to be. So like I said, go to don'tletitgo.com if you want to chime in on this. I'm going to go over to the switchboard and take the couple callers that I've got waiting here so far. Here's the first. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Hey, hey Amy. Uh, I'll be calling in, in later, but I just want to tell you, people cannot hear your show right now. I did a little hack that lets me listen, and I posted the the link up on don'tletitgo.com. So just go there, grab the link, starting with HTTP and ending with MP3. Grab that part, paste it into another window in Firefox or whatever you use, and just click go, and you'll hear it. So okay. uh, you may not well, get your, your your auditing of of how many people are listening might not work with that, but at least people can hear you for now. Okay. Well, I, I'm not getting any real complaints here in the chat room. I'm seeing that people oh. are able to hear it. They're saying they're able to hear fine. Oh. So okay. maybe I'll end up wanting to take down that link later because, yeah, I do. I like to keep track of the counts, obviously. Stats right. on the on this show are always good. But, no, I appreciate you trying to put together a workaround. Um, and, and at some uh, point, uh, you know, if I can provide people other more reliable ways to get connected and still keep track of stats, mm-hmm. that would be wonderful. Yeah, a lot of people in the chat room are saying they can hear fine. But I do appreciate that. So you're going to call in later on another topic, Harold? Yeah, actually, I've got my one point. Do you want me to just make it quickly and be done? Um, sure. I mean, if if you'd like to, but if you want to put it, what what topic is it on? No, it's it's fine. I figured out what happened with the popular vote. Why why Hillary got so many extra votes? I went okay. investigating, you know, and I looked. I clicked on the states and see. I looked at the Senate races, and you won't believe it. California had two Democrats running against each other. One got right. seven and a half million. The other one got four point seven million. And so that, all by itself, right there, that explains the, the whole lopsided uh, uh, popular vote issue. It, it wouldn't have been that way except for California. Oh, because it, we it, voted so much, yeah. Why, why does California and, have such a disproportionate, you know, But there was no Republican. there was no Republican running for the U.S. Senate race in California. There were two Democrats running against each other. Oh, okay. So you're saying that people who are Republicans weren't motivated to come out and vote. At all. Exactly. Exactly. I understand. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, what I did, of course, is I left that blank. I I didn't vote for either of the two Democrats. I Mm. couldn't even believe that there wasn't a Republican on the ballot. But there were other issues that people like me were motivated to go in and, you know, put their two cents in, even if we weren't going to vote for a president or a senator. And many people didn't want to vote for president this year. So you might be right, but I, I wasn't even aware that there was a big. You know, contest between those two. Yeah, Yeah. I I was curious because I thought uh, Loretta Sanchez was going to win, but she just wasn't, I guess, senatorial quality or whatever. You know, didn't Mm -hmm. make it. She started in school board or something. Yeah. Oh well. Thank you, Harold. And um, okay, you're welcome. Yeah, feel feel free to call back in if there's something else that uh, that get that gets you later in in the show. I've got another call. I'm going to grab here. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Hello. Is it me? Yes, it hello? is. Hello? Am hello? I on the air? You are. Oh, hey. Uh, hello. Uh, this is Arjun. Um, hi. So um, I wanted to discuss... Uh, oh, hello. Uh, hi. Uh, I wanted to... Um, well, I, I guess I have um, an unpopular opinion, I guess. 
Um, so I wanted to discuss uh, the uh, potential um, overturning of, of, of the election in the Electoral College. Uh, okay. So, uh, so, so um, you, you, mean, uh, you mean that you have yeah. an unpopular opinion and that you would actually like to see that happen? No, no, that's not what I was going to say. No, I have oh. an unpopular opinion that I uh, might be open to it. Um, anyway, so uh, just hear me out. Um, uh, well, well, so what is, okay, so first of all, um, uh, Trump might be better, you know, uh, policy-wise. Uh, that's the line we're on now, right? I mean, that's what we think, but we don't know for sure. So no, okay, wait, wait. So, so, better. so let me let me just let me just for the disclaimer put it out there. Uh, I am I am a strong uh, believer and continued proponent yes, of I my know. nice. Uh, no, wait. Well, well, let me let me finish. Um, Trump is of my not ni- that into wait, your rights. Uh, yeah, Trump is not just just okay. not that into your rights, and I think it's a perfect way okay. to describe his attitude toward individual rights, and therefore because individual rights are not a motivating principle for him they do not you know in, in effect uh, determine his actions you might uh, in philosopher speak say uh he's dangerous yes. to us um, right so 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 that that's my overall view so on on minuscule individual concrete policies there might be some things that are good and maybe on the concrete level we might be buying a he little bit of time so- to continue the education campaign but no you know and i i think arjun aren't uh, yeah. you Weren't you a proponent of voting for Hillary? Is that right? Uh, no, wait, no. This, uh, can I? Uh, so yeah, my point was that uh, since um, Trump is so radically, uh, radically, I mean, his his rhetoric is so radically, uh, it's, it's so similar to a third world, you know, um, populist leader. Um, you know, um, it, it, it's 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 um, it's a new precedent and it's dangerous. So, I mean, maybe her election would have been. Uh, right in terms of sending uh, in terms of American people rejecting such a new uh, precedent for America because I don't think there's been anything like this since uh, maybe um, Theodore Roosevelt I don't know um, or, right but then uh, yeah. so then and so then, then on that people, point right and uh, this 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 is a you know the the extent to which it was you know kind of fear mongering and appeals to faith and everything else, all the stuff that Ankar Gatte was talking about in his piece about the, you know, the yeah. kind of negative implications of a Trump election, all, all of that's there, right? It is there. And then the question is, to what extent did that really get Trump elected? Um, you know, to what segment of the population did those particular things actually appeal to? In other words, how bad is it? We don't exactly know that. And I I tend to think, you know, look, there were a lot of people who voted for Trump and they weren't necessarily enamored of him. Um, You know, they they held their nose and they voted for him. Uh, Maybe maybe they did get a little bit scared, but there are some things to actually be worried about right now. Um, You know, yeah, Steven Pinker thinks everything is, is peachy, but I did just see an article that for the first time in a while, life expectancy in the U.S. has gone down. There are some negative things going on right now. Uh, we got a pile of debt in our country yeah. and, and all this other stuff. So, so there are things to be worried about. And, you know, the, the question is, do you say, okay, you vote for Hillary because you're concerned that Trump appealed to a small segment of the population? That's a judgment call to make. But I you know, I think reasonable people can differ on this, and 
yep. you know, it just, just in kind of a foreshadowing of the debate, right? I think there's good people on both sides of this debate and everybody, you know, that I'm talking to wants the same thing, which is to be able to continue our plan to educate and change the culture. And of course, live our lives and enjoy our lives in the meantime, while we're doing this, um, we all want the same thing. And, and it's a real judgment call as to which of those two horribles, Trump versus Clinton was the way to achieve that. But you you think maybe it would have been better to vote for Clinton because no, no, uh, Trump had this kind uh, of demagoguery it's, it's, appeal? No, but that, it's a, it's such a hard thing, isn't it? I mean, it, it's just it's not it's not. I mean, there's a there's like so many conflicting things involved. Um, so um, I I can't. I guess we could agree that objectivists like uh, are the best sample of the population, maybe. Um, you know, in terms of their, uh, I don't know, their um, allegiance to the right principles. Uh, so, but then even amongst them, I noticed that it seems like some of them are carried away by Trump. And um, um, yeah, that that worries me. And also, um, well, my theory is that they're, they live in California and, and they're sort of reactionary at this point because of so much um, uh, liberal nonsense there. Um, now, so okay, so what, what do you mean? What do you mean actually by what do you mean by carried away by Trump? Uh, they just seem more positive than uh, they seem positive about him, rather than, you know, let's just let's just see what happens. Um, there, yeah, there, there is there is a lot of that, that, but I would say, you know, not understanding the importance of principle as a motivating factor in somebody's life, and the fact that he lacks principle entirely. Is, is just not ringing true for these people. And so, you know, now I'm posting, if I post anything that's positive about something that Trump is doing, like the fact that he's picked Rick Perry for energy secretary, I've got so many disqualifications, disclaimers, you know, in that post that yeah. it's almost ridiculous the way that I have to, you know, add the disclaimers to it. But it's like, you know, and then there was one that I posted about an effect on California that it turns out, they're finally maybe going to make street vending legal in Los Angeles. Why? Because there are a number of illegal immigrants who are street vendors, right? And they don't want those illegal immigrants to be convicted of a misdemeanor or whatever it is, you know, if you're a street vendor, because then they have a criminal record and then Donald Trump's going to deport these productive people. So they can get deported for misdemeanors? If you have a he criminal record, well, and, oh. and you know, who knows, it'll change next week. And this is the problem with Donald Trump, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. ev- everybody's yeah. life is at the mercy of his whim, because not only does he have no firm conception of rights, he also just changes his opinion all the time. So if you are in any, you know, walk of life, is what I'll call it, right? You're an immigrant, you're in a certain line of business, whatever it is, right, that could be affected by the way in which the government gun is pointed next, you are nervous. And I mean, actually, all of us should be, right? Because there's something that Donald Trump could do because either a crony got to him or he changed his mind or, you know, he was up at 3 a.m. tweeting and, you know, got some harebrained idea in his head. And then suddenly the government gun is pointed your way and your life sucks. So... Or he had a um, whim, this, basically. I mean, yeah, his whims yeah, are enough, you know, too. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, how many billions did, did Boeing lose um, from that tweet? I, I don't even know. I, I heard it was the figure was in the billions. 
Um, oh, oh, because what is he know. saying? Is, is he saying he's going to undo the Boeing deal? Is he, has he done that? That's has not now. That was a few days ago for for the Boeing uh, tweet and for other people for some other companies. I mean, many of their but stocks is, went is down. It, is right, it the so. uh, the Boeing the uh, Boeing Iran deal that he's going after? No, 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 not that. That would be valid. Um, I think he was. Um, he didn't. He said they're charging too much for their planes or something. And <laughs> I'm I don't sorry. Know about that. I'm Actually, laughing. That I'm laughing. You're saying. <laughs> You're, no, like, no, no, not that would be some, valid. Yeah, it's like he's, the, he's, he, he's not mad about something that's valid. That is so Trump, right? So he's mad about a price they charge? No, no, no. Is this that... is not a private price. This is a government contract, so it's still kind of – I guess it's appropriate for him to come in on it. Like it's not something like he's saying, oh, they're selling it for too much to, um, I don't know, sure. to um, the airlines. You know, Like that's not his his decision to make. Uh, but I guess a government contract. So it was a bad example. But he's gone after other companies as well, which are completely invalid uh, for him to go after. But I cannot. None of them are. None of the names are coming to me right now. Right. Um, well, I Amazon. I heard. I heard he wants to go tweet. after Amazon. He's he's talked about Amazon being a monopoly and some kind of antitrust against Amazon. That would be horrible. So. Oh, you know, I was thinking about uh, for the ones that this, their stock was affected. I'm not sure right now, but. There was like anyway, um, and and okay. So there was one last point, uh, one last thing I wanted to ask you. Um, mm-hmm. So on the last show, you seemed uh, quite opposed to the idea of the electoral college um, reversing it. So remember how uh, I mentioned, like maybe if you voted for Hillary to reject Trump, that might be seen as something good, like Americans rejecting this new precedent. Uh, you know, this disgusting third world uh, sure. type uh, populist dictator. But what do you think about the electoral college doing such a thing? Why is, is that worse? Uh, is that less acceptable because yeah, I you know mean, it's sort of hijacking in I would, some way? I would, yeah, I would, I would say that because because it's constitutionally valid and and you agree with right. the institution of the electoral college, right? No, I mean, I I would say that I'm not against the institution of electoral college. I haven't spent a whole lot of time considering it, but because it is yes. an extreme measure, I would. Yeah. You know, try to encourage it only if oh, I yeah. so really can I, can thought I extreme death and destruction were on their way. You know, oh, like if Hitler were elected, for example, um, then yeah. you kind of vote against him in the electoral call. Okay, yeah, but, and, so and you, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure not that we're better off doing that versus doing what I'm doing all the time, which is taking pot shots at Trump. And I think that New York Times and everybody else should continue to do that. So you don't think Trump is a new enough or dangerous enough precedent to be for this to be appropriate? I'm not convinced of that. No, no. And I, I actually, okay. I think it's quite, it's quite because possible. Because on the concrete level, it might just be. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. No. No. I was just gonna say. I, I just think it's quite possible that yeah, on a concrete level, we may be better off, and and just in terms of being able to buy some time. Now, the argument against that is the article that I've got towards the end of the program notes today, which is the one where, you know, that some people in the media are already starting to link Donald Trump's administration with Ayn Rand, which is the most ridiculous thing ever again. You know, it's like, oh, some of them, there's so many people who have read and were like sort of a little bit influenced by Ayn Rand right now that there's a number of people in the media who just decide that they're going to use that as the smear of the week. And they want to misrepresent even what objectivism even stands for and and you know the question is are people going to you know take the worst things about a trump administration all the horrible things that he's gonna he's gonna no doubt do a lot of bad things 
are they going to take those, link them to objectivism, and then therefore write off Ayn Rand? That's a huge issue. But, you know, again, what's the solution to that education? And I think, again, reasonable people can disagree about whether we're better off sticking with Trump or whether we should, you know, get Hillary Clinton at all costs. I don't want Hillary Clinton. I don't think that she would be so much better that it would be worth I think rallying um, the electoral college. You know, I think I'm more inclined to agree with you now because actually if they voted against Donald Trump in the election itself, uh, that would sort of send a message that, you know, American people are rejecting it. But if the electoral college does it, it'll just be seen as a, as you know, the elites are just, uh, the elites are sort of uh, taking control uh, from the American people. It doesn't really send the message that he's being rejected. Uh, so the American people, their ideology, I guess, will still be the same. Um, the same, they'll be in the same ideological state that uh, Trump elected. It's not going to change um, anything. Yeah. I guess ARI and at um, all will change things. Yeah, and and that I mean, I mean that's the the hope for the long term future. That's the hope. Or like yeah. you taking pot shots, as you said. Yeah, I'm taking pot shots from my, yeah, my guess, little show that I'm working to grow. If everybody wants to help spread the word about my show, then the pot shots are going to have more and more of an effect. I guess that's, um, yeah, that's, that makes a lot more sense than the Electoral College uh, thing. Sure. I mean, at, le- at least um, to me. You. But, you know, I, again, I think reasonable people can disagree about whether we're at a stage where the but, danger from Trump is so bad that that's the measure that you want to resort to. No, I don't think so. In, in a material, mm-hmm. material, concrete sense, I don't think it is. Um, and the ideological sense won't be fixed by the Electoral College anyway, because that'll just be seen as a hijack. It, it doesn't prove anything. You know, if it was, yeah, if, if, it, if it anything, it might motivate the worst elements of the population even more. Right? Like maybe if he lost by, if he lost, like he lost, like he only got 10% or something and she got 90%, that would make a point maybe. But the Electoral College is not going to make a point, I guess. So I, I agree with you now. Okay. Well, thank you. I wasn't necessarily trying to convince you, but if I did, I'm I'm glad that I did. Thanks. Thanks for calling in. No, that was your I first call, right? Of, I wanted to. Uh, oh, you have I, another point. Oh no, that's no, no. I just I just wanted to. Well, I wasn't I wasn't really I did, I hadn't made up my mind. I just wanted to uh, sort of um, figure out the difference. Uh, um, you know what what difference it makes um, on the psyche uh, whether the um, people reject him or the college rejects him. Oh, obviously it's a much better because scenario if the people reject if him, the people, right? And if they reject him for yeah, the right yeah, yeah. reason. So the, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Um, thank, thank you, Arjun, for but, your call. I'm going to go ahead and go in and talk about Edward Snowden now because really, for me, this was the thing that I really wanted to talk about most today. I don't know if you guys follow Snowden much anymore, and there has been now this new account and movement set up to pardon Snowden. And as of today, as far as I know, Barack Obama doesn't have any intention of pardoning Snowden. Twitter has gotten behind this movement and helped put together an interview of Snowden by Jack, the head of Twitter. I don't even know his last name. I just know he's at Jack, uh, which is learn his last name, right? Go Amy. But he did a really nice interview of Snowden on Periscope, and I got to watch that this morning. I very much encourage you to watch that. I've got the link. I hope it's still up, actually, because sometimes the videos that are on Periscope are up for only 24 hours. I hope that this one is still up there. The more that I watch Edward Snowden, 
the more that I love him. He is intelligent, articulate, principled. He's wrong here or there. I've got very minor quibbles with him. Uh, So, for example, I think that it's possible to draw a distinct line between inciting violence versus just mere, you know, putting out some sort of propaganda or views that you disagree with. And Snowden in the little periscope was implying that if you basically get rid of all of the ISIS attempts to recruit, that somehow that is going to start a slippery slope and you're actually going to be encouraging Facebook and Twitter and all these social media outlets to curb free speech. And I just don't think that that is the case, right? I just don't think that that is the case. I think you can draw a principal distinction between inciting violence by terrorist groups and, you know, on on the one hand, and then exercising your right to freedom of speech and saying really offensive, disgusting, horrible things on the other. And I think all these smart people are, are capable of making that distinction. You know, the other thing is I would really like to talk to him about a potential legal solution to the privacy problem. Uh, he's very focused on encryption. And I think encryption right now is a beautiful strategy because encryption makes it that you are evading the effect of the third party doctrine. You're not sharing your information with Facebook, Twitter, you know, other internet service providers, you are sending it directly in an encrypted way such that these companies can't even read it. Uh, So, you know, in in effect, it's the third-party doctrine that makes this encryption necessary, but I think the encryption in and of itself also adds value. I would like to get rid of the third-party doctrine, which I've talked about a million times. I don't want to rehash it um, here, but I want to get rid of it and also have encryption. These are minor quibbles. And what I urge you to do is watch that if you can. I heard that there's also a very excellent interview of Snowden recently by Katie Couric. What I found particularly moving, and I've seen him talk a little bit about this before, but now that there's not that many days until Trump takes office, it's getting really serious. And Snowden, at about 32 minutes into this periscope, takes on the issue, the the real possibility that Donald Trump is going to work some sort of deal, have him handed over, subject Snowden to a kangaroo trial here in the United States, and condemn him, right, to death for treason. Um, And Snowden's asked about this, and he talks about it, and he is very calm and deliberate. Let me see if I can find the little notes that I that I took here. Um, I was actually tearing up as I was watching this because the prospect, and I've talked about this on the show before, because the CIA picked this Pompeo guy. He is one of these people who believes that Snowden should be convicted for treason and executed. This is a Donald Trump pick. I know that Bolton, who may have some role somewhere in there in the administration, has in the past also echoed this view. There are a number of these so-called conservatives, these so-called limited government people who believe that Snowden should be tried for treason and executed. Um, So what did he say? He said, you know, he realizes that this is a possibility. 
He says he's not worried. He says he's comfortable. Why? He's comfortable because he is happy with all of the decisions that he has made all along the way. Um, And, you know, he also wonders whether they don't really want him in Russia. You know, they think, oh, if he was really a Russian spy, if they didn't want Snowden in Russia, why didn't they work out some way to get him out, to let him go to Ecuador or these other places that he wanted? Um, You know, but he puts forth this whole, again, it's about six minutes long, and he puts forth this whole case for why he has not committed treason, why they have not shown, first of all, that any of the revelations that he put into motion, you know, through the news media, any of those revelations have resulted in harm to any Americans, whether personnel or otherwise, right? You know, security personnel, intelligence personnel, et cetera. Uh, they, They haven't shown that. Second of all, these rights violating programs that he exposed, that he provided evidence that made you capable of challenging these programs in court, right? Now you can challenge these programs in court because you have evidence that they've actually taken place, that it's more than a conspiracy theory, right? He says there's no evidence that any of these programs have stopped terrorist attacks. They have not had the effect that they are supposedly put in place for. And he talks in the periscope about changing the current balance that we have. He calls a democracy. This is another quibble I have with him. He keeps talking about us having a democracy. We have a constitutional republic. And, you know, he does mention the principle of individual rights, right? So at least he does that. But he says, look, you know, in a democracy, as he calls it, you're supposed to have a situation in which the government works for the people. People know basically everything about the government that is working for us. But the government is not supposed to know very much at all about private citizens. And as it stands right now, it's completely the reverse. And he talks about, you know, the state secrets and the classified this and the classified that, where we are lacking transparency to a huge extent with respect to our government. Transparency is a joke right now. And yet our government knows everything about us. There are these huge databases that the government is able to a mass. There is one other thing that I have a slight quibble with Snowden about, and he talks about the fact that all these companies can collect your data, you know, big companies, and that that in and of itself is a problem. And I don't see companies collecting my data so much as a problem. I mean, there might be particular companies who are bad actors and let's go after them. But to me, the biggest problem is once we share the data with the companies, the, the companies can turn it over to the government and make it huge, uh, part of this huge database. So to me, that's the, the bigger danger. This is the danger that he has exposed. This is the danger that people want to try him for treason for, right? They want to take a side on behalf of these huge bulk surveillance programs that still exist. In our government, yeah, they're tweaked a little. Maybe there's a little bit of control put on them by the most recent piece of legislation. But the next batch of legislators can come in. Trump can come in and do all sorts of things to increase these surveillance powers. And in fact, if you want to see, you know, what some of the privacy advocates are anticipating will happen under Trump, you can see the link at the blog at don'tletitgo.com. The case for pardoning Snowden just got stronger 
that was released by Pardon Snowden. They talk about the fact that under a Trump presidency, privacy is at risk in, in perhaps a way that it wasn't before. So go check that out. Um, the other thing I wanted to say, and actually, let me see if I'm going to get Debbie on, because I think Debbie might want a bit about Snowden with me here. Is this Debbie? Hi, Amy. It's Debbie. Hi. You do want to talk about Snowden? Yes. Excellent. So, I love um, him. Did I, I, did I say I love him? Did I mention I love him? I do, too. And I was really struck by what you said about his um, kind of serenity in the face of real danger and I just think this is it's amazing. A great I mean, you, you have to you have to go watch that video for yourself. I was in tears. This guy, he is so convinced that everything that he did is the right thing. He said at the end of the six minutes or so, he said, he says, do I like it? No, but I accept it. And I mean, yeah, he, he well, is he he yeah. is a hero. He is a hero. Absolutely, like an epic hero. But in addition to that, I think it makes, um, it illustrates a principle that is, is helpful and important to keep in mind in the world as it is today, where it sometimes looks like the bad guys are winning, and in maybe an immediate existential way they currently are. But just mm-hmm. the fact that when you contrast this serenity that Snowden has with the um, look at someone like Castro who lived to be 90 and um, Jerome was kind of lamenting that on his show a couple weeks ago and I called him and I shared with him some things that are known about the inner state of a naval person, of a sociopath for instance, um, and how they suffer and how miserable and terrified they are every day of their life and it's just an example of this deeper justice this on a metaphysical level of that the good in face of an existential mortal threat can be serene and at peace and someone evil with all the power and money um, that they could wish for can be in agony and anguish and pain every day of their life. I think it's really um, just such a stark example of that. Right. Yes. Yes. I, I, I would agree. Um, but I mean, if you, when you see him and you see him talking about, you know, what, what he's done and that he wouldn't do anything differently, regardless of this threat to his life, it is really, it's, it's really very moving. So did you get a chance to watch it yet, Debbie? No, but I'm definitely going to, did you say it was linked to in the program notes for your show? Or, yes, yes. Yeah, um, the, the now I'm yeah. hoping that the periscope is still up. I made sure to watch it this morning because the actual live event took place yesterday, I think about 9 a.m. California time. So I'm hoping that it's still up there for you guys. You can guys can check it out and, and watch it. It's just under an hour long. Well worth your time. And oh, you know, yeah. again, if you if if you have any doubts about the quality of this man and the decisions that he went through and the precautions that he took to make sure that he was doing the one thing that was necessary to do, which is to expose evidence of these programs so that they might be challenged both in the courts and in the court of public opinion and hopefully through legislation and other ways of, of changing the law. I, I mean, it, it's it's just amazing um, how, really how deliberate is. he was. Someone, yeah. 
a her- heroic on that level, a real person. I mean, it really is. And I, I, I wonder what kind of actions might be justified if, uh, against the government if they did try to kill him. Um, well, you I've, know, I've, I, you know, this morning I was starting to think that we need to go and do demonstrations in front of federal courthouses or not federal courthouse, but the federal buildings, that's typically a good place to go. Federal buildings, wherever a federal, federal building is near you in a big city or something, you would go there and do a demonstration. We did that for Ilian Gonzalez years ago. It was the only time I ever really took to the streets and did demonstrations, once in Miami and once at the federal building in L.A., uh, you know, for Ilian to try to keep him here. And it might be time to do that, and we'd have to do it pretty quick because we want Obama to pardon this man. There's no that way that Trump's going to pardon like, this man. Uh, it almost, I mean, I can't say it would redeem the Obama presidency, but it, it would be at least at least a step toward restitution for all the harm he's done to this country. Um, it, it, I don't know. I mean, has he shown any sympathy whatsoever? I haven't heard him really, I don't think, I don't recall him being super hostile and aggressive. No. Snowden, I mean, excuse me, yeah, yeah, Snowden. Snowden cited a comment that Obama had made when asked about the prospects for pardoning Snowden. And Obama said something like how Snowden had made this great contribution to the debate and everything else, but somehow, you know, his hands were tied and he just couldn't pardon him, which is ridiculous. Um, Mm. I think of Obama. Yes. Yeah. Harry in the chat room here is saying Obama will never do that, that he's not going to. No, I don't think he will because he doesn't have enough, like, dedication to the good. He doesn't have that in him, I don't think. I mean, if he he makes kind of a half-hearted, cowardly remark. I I don't want to give him even too much credit for necessarily he Would he do it if he thinks it's going to improve his legacy? You know, he's going around doing all this sort of public opinion campaign about how he didn't have any scandals which was a lie and there haven't been any terrorist attacks on our soil on his watch which is a lie that's also a lie what what if there was something that he could add to it that's true right yeah i don't know how much he cares about truth and reality and all that you know if he's a true nihilist uh or even substantially close to being that then i don't think that is something that has a lot of reality to him um but yeah, anyway, I uh boy. Um well, I would <laughs> I would hate him less if he would pardon Snowden and that's like a really big thing because I didn't think there was anything that could make my hatred of him diminish. So, um if if there was if there it. was an organized protest near you, would you go? Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I mean, Sure, I I would happily make that tiny effort, you know, which is pathetic compared to what Snowden's done. But, you know, insofar as I could do anything, most certainly I would. Right. Now, the Pardon Snowden organization, obviously they're not perfect either. One of the things that they're totally worried about is surveillance of mosques. And I think you could make a legitimate argument for surveillance of mosques, but I don't think that that is all that we would see under a Trump administration. It's not going to be just surveillance of terrorists. It's going to be, you know, basically, again, the whim, 
whoever it is that he thinks needs journalists that he thinks have done badly for, you know, to him. Snowden talked about the government going after journalists in particular, how much journalists have been targeted by surveillance uh, attempts. And, and that's really, really disturbing because we do. We need that yeah. freedom of, of the press. Uh, he also is excellent and articulate on freedom of the press in, in this Periscope as well. So anyone who's listening, I highly do recommend it. Yeah, yeah. And what is surveillance exactly? We don't know exactly concretely what that necessarily would be in terms of mosques. Because, like, one thing that comes to my mind is it's sort of like an open forum, right? People can go in. They don't. You don't have to get, like, granted access, right? You can just go, like, when a church has services. So I guess I was thinking, I mean, I could be wrong about that because I've never attempted to go to a mosque. But, um, you know, maybe surveilling mosques could just mean that people go to the mosque, like, as if they were a congregant and kind of listen to what's being said and pay attention. And I don't think that would be violating anyone's rights at all. I think that would be completely consistent. No. That that sort of example is really the sort of example that the third party doctrine was meant to cover, you know. So, for example, somebody goes undercover to a mosque and the people at the mosque tell him things that they're basically plotting some sort of violent attack or they're inciting violence at the mosque or whatever it is that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And then that per- that person reveals it. Um, that's the real sort of case that the third party doctrine was meant to cover, you know, the use of these secret agents and stuff. But now we have, you know, just regular transactions with Facebook or your bank or whoever and the information is turned over to the government even when there's no criminal activity underlying at all so there's a distinct difference between those two things and and that's you know where again I don't think I I think if I sat down with Snowden for about five minutes maybe I could help him draw some distinctions there but I don't know I mean you know he's probably set in some of his opinions and we I might have to agree to disagree with him and still think that he's performed a tremendous service for our country. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I want to ask, have you, do you know anything, have you seen the movie about him? Because I haven't yet, and I was excited about it, but um, uh, just wondering what your opinion is. You, you know, have I, I haven't seen it yet, which is horrible. I need to see that movie. Um mm-hmm. I, I know some people who see it, but I had some some personal stuff that was keeping me from going. But mm. I yeah, now I think what it's going to be available for download, and anybody on any schedule can watch that soon, right? Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting that on iTunes or buying a DVD okay. of it or something. <laughs> let me let me know if you've got it because I I would I definitely do want to see it. But you know, for everyone, I would recommend these real interviews of the real guy as well. One interesting thing towards the end of it, they were asking him about books that influenced him. And many people know that Rand did have an influence on him. And you can tell that there's been an influence of of Rand on Snowden. He declined in the Periscope to cite any particular book. And he said, well, of course there have been books, you know, that influenced him, but, and, but he talks about the fact that the books that have influenced you, the books that you read, that that's a private matter. He says, okay, I'll, you know, just not share, you know, maybe he doesn't want to be lumped in with the latest attempt to kind of smear Ayn Rand that's out there with Trump and everything. I don't know, but he did Mm -hmm. say, he says, it's, you know, the internet is, sort of this enduring book that we're all writing. I can't remember exactly how he put it, but he's talking about how the internet has such an influence on him that he's a child of the internet 
and in effect that he would hate to see the internet be shut down and limited by government so that people were not free to express their views. How wonderful it is that anybody who can get an internet yeah. connection and a Twitter account can suddenly go out there and express themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, that's a very, very important thing to keep. Could I just respond quickly? Stuart had a question um, after I mentioned sociopathy and, uh, but I don't want to monopolize your show if you'd rather. Uh, no, no, go right ahead. Go right ahead. Okay. Um, well, he was just saying, is there a difference between someone who's a sociopath slash psychopath and someone who chooses to be evil? Somebody, he read a book that someone um, said that it's just a, like a defect that someone has no control over, basically, and so it's not a moral issue. I would expect to disagree with that. Um, one thing that I've read is, first of all, that we don't know fully what all the genetic factors are that contribute to it, but what I've read from one of the experts at Harvard on sociopathy is that there is some evidence that it's, it might be partially heritable, but it's also strongly influenced by um, just the way a person lives, the way they choose to live their life. And um, there's the phenomenon of neuroplasticity. Actually, this very question was what originally motivated me to start reading about neuroplasticity because I wanted to understand how to reconcile things about someone's brain structure and what that implies about free will. And there's a lot of evidence that a person can have maybe possibly, and, and we don't even know for sure that there is a genetic contribution. There's some evidence that it might be, um, but that someone can be dramatically um, move themselves in one direction or another, depending on how they live and think. Uh, so I would encourage anyone who's curious about it to read, start with the brain that changes itself. Um, mm-hmm. because you can learn a lot about neuroplasticity and kind of what the, get a better understanding maybe at least from a neurological perspective on what kind of free will means and how much of it really is in our control, which is really there's a very much, uh, there's a lot that, that one can do in, in, one, in shaping one's own character. So yeah. um, yeah. thank you for letting me say that. <laughs> no, no, no problem. Um, you know, I would not know about um, – you know, basically the genetic component versus the environmental component, which could also come from the same people, right? Your parents from whom the genetic component might come. Uh, so that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's really for the experts. But at a certain point, you just say, look, there's people doing these horrible things. They pose this danger to you. And whether or not it was, a, you know, a moral issue that they chose or not or whatever, they are damaged. You need to remove yourself from that person, right? So Yeah, if, basically remove them from the planet in some cases because, like, to take someone cases, like Ted right. Bundy. Yeah. Some, sometimes Ted it's Bundy. just don't associate, right? You just yeah. try to extricate yourself <laughs> yeah. from any yeah. interaction with them, right? Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and I, yes, I think uh, Ken in the chat room is asking, it's, is it called The Brain That Changes Itself? Yes, that's the title of the book that she's that's talking correct. about. By and Norman I've I've Joy. also listened to that book on Audible, and I recommend it as well. It's excellent. Yeah, truly amazing. It is the the stories of what people are able to accomplish after either certain ages or certain type of damage is done to their brain is mm-hmm. it's really ins- very very inspiring. Absolutely. Excellent. That's Thank all you, I Debbie. Have to say about that. <laughs> okay. You're welcome. Okay, great. Um, I'm going to probably have to do my usual run through some of the other 
program notes that I've got over at the blog. I encourage you to go to the blog at don'tletitgo.com because sometimes I'm going to do only a superficial gloss on, on a few of the items. And I put them all there because I do think that they are worthwhile. I, I do ask for your support out there on Twitter. If you want to retweet my little tweet to Edward Snowden, I am still trying to engage him on the topic of eliminating the third-party doctrine. I guess I should just give you the brief rundown. I said earlier, I'm not going to talk about it. So the third-party doctrine, it says that everything that you share with a third party is no longer protected by the Fourth Amendment. There's no warrant requirement whenever you share something with Facebook or Twitter or your bank, everybody else, that you know those parties, the, the third party, Facebook and whoever, they can turn the information over to the government even if there's no warrant based on probable cause or particularized suspicion. So I think that for the long term to have legal protection for privacy, to make true privacy legal in today's age where we live our lives so much online, that we need to eliminate the third party doctrine. And this is a conversation I would love to have with Edward Snowden. As far as I know, he has never mentioned this doctrine. So I put a little tweet out there. I managed to squeeze it into 140 characters if you want to retweet that and give me a chance of some point having that discussion with Snowden, I would appreciate it. That's awesome. I put it, hey, brother, can you spare a retweet? Because that's what I'm asking. Okay. Uh, then what else do we have over there? I've got just a little bit of warning for my friends in Silicon Valley, friends and people whom I admire there, all these productive geniuses. New York Times put this piece out there opinion piece, but you know, this is how things start. Forget AT&T, AT &T, the real monopolies are Google and Facebook. And the little piece talks about the fact that the merger, the proposed merger of AT&T and Time Warner, it's drawn censure from both sides of the political aisle um, because of the potential for this to become a monopoly. And what the author of this piece does is talk about the relative market share that even a merger and the relative, you know, financial assets and stuff that they would have as a merged entity versus what Facebook and Google and et cetera have in, in terms of deploying content. And then they go on to talk about Google, I think because also they have YouTube and stuff that they are posing a risk to intellectual property rights that creators are not getting paid because of what they're doing, et cetera. And that somehow that means that Facebook and Google and the like should be subjected to antitrust, right? This is the implication. These are the real monopolies. We need to bring in the government gun to break up these monopolies. And, you know, you might say, okay, well, Donald Trump's a Republican and surely he's not going to listen to the New York Times. Actually, you know, maybe because it's the New York Times and he just happens not to like them, Maybe he won't listen to this, but it's not like he would say, I'm not going to listen to it on a principled reason. You know, I disagree with the whole idea of antitrust laws as such. We've seen in the past that whenever the government has gone in using antitrust to break up these supposedly huge companies that have an entrenched monopoly that will never be broken forever, that soon enough a competitor comes around and it would have losing market share anyway, right? This happens on its own in, in these industries. We've saw it with Alcoa 
and also with Ma Bell and all this, you know, you can go back and look at the histories of those. But the biggest point, of course, if you're talking from the perspective of individual rights, is that everybody be left free on the market to do business with Google if they like, or you can go ahead and use DuckDuckGo or other search engines. Uh, you know, use Facebook if you like it. But if you decide, okay, you've just had enough with Facebook and you think that somehow that's not worth your business, don't go on there. Uh, that you need to leave people free to make their own choices. You need to leave these entities free to be, you know, succeed or fail on that market. That government should not be initiating force in the name of so-called competition or anything else. The only thing that government should do is they should use force in retaliation if one of these companies actually violates your rights. You know, so for example, if Facebook really did commit fraud with respect to its representations about its privacy policy, okay, fine, government come in and provide a remedy. Uh, but don't come in on that pretext and say, okay, I'm going to control Facebook under a consent decree for 20 years, which is what they're doing right now. Government is not right now limiting its actions to the protection of individual rights. Instead, it is going in there and trying to pick winners and losers. And right now, it looks like at least we've got some media players who are trying to turn the government's attention to Facebook and Google. And we might see a tech sector, you know, a Silicon Valley tech sector, which has enjoyed prosperity in part due to the fact that it's been relatively free we might see them subject to government force. And that, and that would be a horrible thing. So it's just a warning, just a heads up, that there are these people out there in the New York Times calling for antitrust to be turned against them. Another E that I've got is environmentalism, right? I want to talk to you about environmentalism. People here in the chat room, they're talking about uh, there was an AT&T judgment that broke a national monopoly into regional monopolies. Yeah, a lot of good that does as well. You know, if, if you make a precedent that they can only operate on a region, you might, in order to be able to have economies of scale with all the regulation of pricing that they have, need to have a monopoly. You know, Obamacare is, you know, forcing certain things on the insurers, and then, of course, they have to be really big in order to have the economy of scale that, such that they can ensure for pre-existing conditions and all those other things. It's, it's, you're, you're making more of a monopoly by regulating these industries is, you know, is my argument there. Environmentalism, the other E that I want to talk about. It was just because I had an experience yesterday when I went to the store. For those of you who haven't heard me talk about it, in California, in November, they passed this SB 270, Senate Bill 270, single-use carry-out bag ban. And um, what they've done now is they've made it so that in the whole state of California, you can no longer have those convenient, like thin, easy-to-crumple-up, easy-to-store-in-your-fancy-little-holders Grocery bags, right? And I reused all those bags. You can reuse them in like your little waste baskets around the house and stuff. You can use them if you want to pick up after dogs, whatever you want to do. I took all those bags when they existed and I would put them in my fancy, I think it's Simply Human or Simple Human is the brand, you know, nice 
holder, nice and convenient and streamlined. And I put them all in there and I would reuse them all. But now those don't exist anymore. Those are banned. And instead, every time you go to the store, you, if you're going to get bags, right, if you're not going to bring your own, then you have to pay. And at one store where I was yesterday, 15 cents per bag. I guess they're supposed to charge 10 cents per bag, but this store decided to charge 15 cents per bag. I guess they really want to discourage you from doing this at this store. And this is one of those sort of nature market type stores, right? So they've got their own bias. Um, But the thing I discovered, because the cashier was kind of rude, he was just very rude about this because what he did is he closed out the tab and, you know, you swipe the credit card through and you're waiting for it to run And it was before he even asked me whether I needed a bag. So I said, yeah, I do. I need a bag. I need one bag because I don't carry the bags. And if you want to see the reason that I don't carry bags, besides the fact that I resent the idea of having to schlep my own bags into stores when I'm shopping, I don't want to have to store them in my car and make my car more cluttered. I don't want to think about it, have to worry about whether I forget it or bring it. But the biggest reason that you would not want to do this is that these bags tend to collect bacteria. So I do have a link at the blog at don'tletitgo.com to just one of the articles where they talk about this, that in these reusable shopping bags, you can collect all sorts of bacteria because those food packages will sometimes leak little bits. And then the little bits that are leaked into your bag will grow all sorts of bacteria. If you dispose of the bags relatively quickly, if you reuse them only for dog poop or garbage or whatever, it's gone, right? You're not contaminating future food. But if you're reusing these bags, you might be. So for all those reasons, I don't carry. I go in there and I've been buying new bags each time that I shop. And then sometimes I reuse them a little bit. They're not as useful as the other ones, but there's some things you can use them for. Uh, And otherwise, I guess they're going to go in the landfills. And these are thicker plastic bags. So as one friend of mine remarked, they're going to last a lot longer in in landfills. This is a disaster, right? They're trying to pressure people into, you know, reusing bags. Those of us who are buying them, we're buying these bags, we're throwing them out, and they're going to be in the landfill longer. My fancy bag holder is going to go in the landfill. So environmentalists, you did not get what you think you're going to get. It's, it's really a tax. So, so let me go back to the guy, right? So the guy, he closes out, and then I have to get a bag. So I have to pay 15 cents for the bag. Now, luckily, I've got a quarter And I can go ahead and pay cash. So he has to do a separate transaction. He rings it up. And this is when I learned that not only do you pay for these bags, you pay sales tax on that darn bag. So it's a 15 cent bag and I was charged 16 cents. Not that that's that much money, but the idea of paying a tax on top of what is in essence already a tax just galled me. I was pretty upset. I was posting social media. I was complaining about it and everything. Um, but it, it's not going to achieve any benefit on behalf of the environment. It's just a tax. It is an imposition on my life. It is a pointing of the government gun at me saying, you, Amy Peacock, you have to go around schlepping these bags. Otherwise, you have to pay. And now at Sprouts, this guy, you know, before, before the law was passed, he probably thought, okay, you know, I wish that these people would all reuse the bags because I have my environmentalist dream of, you know, reducing the carbon footprint or the volume in landfills or, you know, I don't know why people dump them in the ocean, but sometimes I guess they do and not a good idea. Um, 
So he's got his rosy dreams, but he's not going to impose his view on the customers of his store, customers like me, because, you know, it's his view and he knows maybe people don't share it. So now that the law has been passed, he feels morally righteous. And so he was kind of rude to me when I have to buy this bag. It's like, oh, God, you got to buy that. You know, he doesn't even bother asking me before he closes out the tab. It was an awful experience. And I just know it's going to keep happening. But I also know buying the things the way that I want to. And if somebody else is rude the next time, I think I'll probably actually say something about it. Um, yeah, just Jean is saying that she had made an investment. She paid 99 cents for a bag. You get 10 cents every time you use it. Completely voluntary up until now. Yeah, you. I mean, you can do that if you want to do that, right? And maybe you can reuse it a few times and there's not that much in the way of bacteria that's going to make you sick and if you want to, but everyone should be given the choice about what they want to do about this bag ban. And, you know, just on a moral issue of, you know, just making a moral judgment about this cashier, he should not be rude to me, right? I am a customer. I'm a paying customer of a store. I didn't make any kind of a weird stink or whatever. I just wanted to buy my bag. Uh, Rob says, when you, someone is rude to you, you should always say something. Yeah, at the time I was caught off guard and I was also commenting on the fact, I mean, I did make a comment. I made a comment about the fact that there was sales tax on top of the transaction. So I was focused on that. I'm pretty galled by the fact that it's a tax on top of a tax. So next time I will complain. Uh, Someone says complain to the manager. I think this guy may have been some sort of manager. I'll find out next time if I go in there and the same thing happens to me again. So He still has a boss too. Yes, of course. Of course. Quality of free bags is dropping too. Yeah, there's just really no free bags anymore. That's that's all that there is. So that's my little dig at environmentalism today. The next thing that I've got in terms of the ease, again, go to don'tletitgo.com. I've got education, but let me go back over to the switchboard and see if I had anybody who wanted to talk. Yeah, I do. I'm going to go ahead and grab it. Hi, who's this? Hey, it's Harold again. Hi, Harold. How are you? How are you doing? All right. So, so I don't waste your time. I've got my little list here that I'm working from. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, one thing that's that's been on my mind for a while is what is the health of Leonard Peikoff right now? Do you know anything? It's it's decent as far as I know. I mean, he's older, so sometimes various ailments will bother him. But I don't know that there's any sort of big imminent threat to his health or, or life. Okay, excellent. I was just yeah. No, I mean, and 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 he's really really enjoying his writing. But I think he just find you know he he said in his last podcast that he just found that he had limited energy and he wanted to put all of his energy into this thing mm-hmm. that he loves so much, which is fiction writing, and it's it's wonderful yep. to see. Okay, so here's what I've noticed with this. Uh, you you spoke about. I'm going to tie all this together. It all comes together. Um, the Trump cabinet, I see all big oil people. I see no pro-nuclear people at all, none. So I'm just wondering where we're going because... I had I had heard something, though, that, that the energy pick... Is it, is it Perry? ExxonMobil. Some, some, no, but someone was talking about... Well, the ExxonMobil guy, he's uh, Secretary of State, State, yes? Yes. Yeah. But from what I understand, there... There is rumblings in the Trump administration to revive nuclear, that that is actually on the table with them. 
That would be right, nice because to see. There's a whole bunch of new technology that was invented in the 1980s. I'm talking about new compared to the 1960s. Mm-hmm. The neutron moderators are new. There's a whole bunch of really nice things, and they can make these small modular reactors that are completely safe. They can bury them underground and just leave them unattended for 30 years. And so just think of a Google data center with a, with a little reactor right at its, at its core never have to get electricity from the outside. They could even supply excess electricity and maybe distilled water to the community. So, And it's great if you have you know, a natural disaster because it's all buried. All the critical infrastructure is not even subject to the environment. Well, unless so it's no an earthquake, water. right? And stuff that's buried is also subject no, to they, the earthquake. They, they, have it, they have it on a hanging, a hanging platform with steel ah. ropes. So it's vibration-proof. You have a slab of concrete, then you have the hanging tension ropes, so the whole thing's completely isolated. You, you can do anything you like to it. Now, Debbie, Debbie here in the chat room, she says, how about traveling wave reactors? And then she has a link to something called terrapower.com. Is that something else? That's in the group of Gen 4 nuclear reactors. That's not the best one. they mostly molten salt. So they have a melted salt, and they dissolve the uranium in the salt. And so the, the, the thing that conducts the heat and the thing that's causing the reaction is chemically combined. So you never get a separation of the water and the reactor and, and a meltdown. That can never happen. Something okay. which was not thought of. Um, you mentioned the environment, and this ties in with the nuclear thing, because every year we have 270 million tons of CO2 goes into the air. It's not regulated. I know Obama tried to, but it's really not in the law. But that's not the problem. CO2 is a good thing. It helps plants to grow faster. It's generally, you know, turns into more trees. Not a bad thing. Right. But right. What, what is bad is all the sulfur dioxide and the nitrous oxides and all the other radioactive elements that are in coal and oil. They're called NORM, naturally occurring radioactive metals. And you mm-hmm. breathe that in, that goes into your lungs, and that, that is really bad. And so if we had in, if we had our nuclear contained inside the nuclear plant instead of spewing into the air, that would be a much better right. thing. Right. We have an isolated – the amount of nuclear waste we have is 270,000 tons, you know, 0.1% of what, what that other number I gave you. Right. So, well, so, so, what, so what you're hoping to see is that under a Trump administration we're going to see a revamping of nuclear, putting yeah, that back on the table? New technology. The specific, the Gen 4, one of the people who did the Gen 4 is out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. Her name is uh, Leslie Dewan. She's a doctor. You know, of, this, uh, this, um, Harold, this is probably actually too technical for this particular I'm, I'm general, show. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get into anything technical. I'm just trying to generally give a general statement here. She has designed a reactor that can burn up all the nuclear waste and use it for fuel. That means no Yucca Mountain, none of that stuff. We just use what we have and make it go away and in the process have uh, 200 years of, of free energy. So that's a plus plus. There's win-win all over on, on that subject. And, and, and your, concern, in... your concern is that Trump's people are not going to be receptive to this awesome no, new technology? No, because it's, economic, it's economically cheaper than coal. And so it's a direct threat to the existing infrastructure. So don't tell mm-hmm. me there won't be pushback. Right. This is really cheap. I mean, we're still dealing with steam engines from 200 years ago. We're taking nuclear and we're, we're using it like coal and attaching it to a steam engine. Time to move on. You know, there's, there's right. plenty of good things out there. Right. Um, 
you uh, earlier you I, I still haven't seen who Trump's surgeon general is going to be. I, that that's a big interest to me because right now you know yeah you Obama would have thought if he was going to put Carson anywhere he'd put him there but no I guess not. Right? No, the Debbie was talking about potentially it was uh, you know the nature nurture thing the uh, person's uh, a genetic right. makeup but it turns mm-hmm. out genetics is only about it's less than twenty percent of what controls what happens in a person. The other 80% is your nutrition and exercise. So yeah, having cool. the right nutrients changes your brain. Most people don't get enough omega-3s, so that's why they tell people to eat fish several times a week. But there's other ways to go. There's flaxseed and so forth. There's plenty of ways to get omega-3. Grass-fed but butter. It, woohoo! No, that's, that's an omega-6 source, and you have to cancel um, if that it's out. Grass-fed, if, if it's grass-fed, you get more O3s, but yeah. I agree. I agree. But you know we've gone to industrial food, so we don't have that anymore unless you get it from Australia or somewhere. Good luck on that. So this, we could probably get rid of 90% of our hospitals and doctors if people would make some changes, you know, small changes. No and doubt. No doubt. And, and like I said, you know, the, I saw the article recently about the average lifespan in the United States is declining. I wonder if that's due in part to... Obamacare, but it also, of course, I, could be due to diet. I looked at I looked at that data, and I saw Hispanic women had the best numbers, and I'll tell you why. Because they stay at home and they cook, and their cooking is more plant-based because most of those people come from areas near the equator where plants are more used, whereas Northern Europe are more meat-based and cheese and so forth. But so that's eat more what vegetables. Yeah, and you look at you look at the data for whites and black Americans. It's about the same, equally bad data. In fact, the men who work outside the home more likely to grab fast food had worse health worse health data than the woman who had more of a chance, maybe because they were at home more. They have more chance to eat real food. Okay. So there's there's plenty of things you can do, but people have to learn about it and, and study it. And there's yeah, plenty and, of data and again, out there. So much- so yeah, so much of it comes down to education. I've got to go back to my list of topics. Is there anything else before I let you no, go? No, I'm good. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for calling in. Yeah, I I agree with you, um, Harold. That I'm hoping a Trump administration will be receptive to nuclear because it's a cheap, plentiful, clean source of energy, and the government's been keeping it down for decades. And now, if there is new promising technology, that's even better. So let's go. Uh, that was our little energy, I guess, um, diversion. Um, I actually did have a couple of energy items, or I do, do have at least one energy item in the program notes, and that is that the energy department is refusing to name the client or nuclear deal staff to the Trump transition team. And whatever you think of Trump if there is a department that is supposed to be cooperating in the transition, they need to give the names of the personnel so that they can get the information that they need to make, you know, this transition properly. But I guess what they're so concerned that Donald Trump is going to free up energy production in the United States, that he's going to make it easier for us to have cheap and reliable sources of energy and make our lives better, that these people are all scandalized. Education. Uh, we've had a little bit of discussion this week. There's a New York Post article that's being shared around about how Trump's education secretary pick, Betty DeVos, that she plans to get rid of common core standards. 
And yeah, common core standards are a bad thing. We have a federally imposed set of standards that in some areas that they cover are content laden and the government has used its, you know, so-called carrot of money, federal subsidies to the states in order to get the states to adopt these and make them law throughout many states in the country. Not, you know, there are some states that have refused to implement common core and, and great for them. But, you know, she's talking about getting rid of it entirely. And a lot of people are saying, okay, she's great. It's wonderful. Everything is rosy. But if you look at the New York Times, and also if you looked at, and we've talked about it on the show, I analyzed the little press release about DeVos, and and they were saying they're going to eliminate Common Core, but they're going to set higher national standards. That is not the tune that we're seeing in that New York Post article. To their credit, they didn't talk about replacing the Common Core with higher national standards. But I still think because they put that out in their initial press release, because she was talking about making American education great again, you talk about government making education anything, you're talking about the government pointing its gun. And if you're going to have the federal government doing that, it's going to be in the form of standards of some kind. What we need to be concerned about is whether those standards are going to be content laden, but just now content laden with religious content. And with DeVos at the helm there, there's a real concern about that. If you go to the New York Times piece that I linked to, it's called Betty DeVos and the and, uh, and God's Plan for Schools. And it talks about her links to a community, an evangelical-type community in the United States, different players in that community, who believe that school vouchers that she's been a big proponent of that school vouchers are the way to get all of our kids into religious schools because most private schools in the United States right now are religious. So, you know, what they want to do is they want, of course, to put all the kids into religious schools. That is the goal. And they want to do this as a way to save the country, turn it Christian, etc. And so, you know, what I've talked about before with respect to the imposition of national standards that'll just be Trump standards gets a little bit more dire in terms of, you know, ominous when you're talking about DeVos maybe pushing those standards in a way that will favor religious schools as the recipient of the vouchers versus secular schools. Now, you know, what is the answer with any control out there? You try to create a secular alternative and there there is such a thing out there but it is disturbing to see the extent to which um, you know she is linked to these people who believe that the way to you know have a more religious country is via a voucher program that she's going to try to implement they say at a 2001 gathering of conservative Christian philanthropists DeVos singled out education reform as a way to, quote, advance God's kingdom, end quote. In an interview, she and her husband, Richard DeVos Jr., said that school choice would lead to, quote, greater kingdom gain, end quote. So I'd be very skeptical. I wouldn't be so excited about the mere fact that they're going to get rid of Common Core because we don't know what they're going to put in, in its place, and we do see that she is motivated to use education policy to have greater 
kingdom gain, make our country more Christian. That is a, a scary prospect. Also on the topic of making the country more religious under Trump or, you know, I've actually seen there was an article that a friend of mine on Facebook had shared, I think just in the last day or so, about how women are very scared that their abortion rights are going to be taken away under a Trump presidency. And I think this is a real danger. We've spoken in the past on this show about one of Trump's picks for the Supreme Court and how that pick was extremely religious and in fact thought that homosexuals should be jailed for engaging in consensual sexual activity as, as adults and you know how horrific that is and how old fashioned that is and that you would put anybody who has that view on the Supreme Court today is I, I'd say barbaric. Uh, we do know that Trump is likely to put people on the Supreme Court who are predisposed to overturning Roe versus Wade. What you've got going at the same time is in a number of places in the country, there have been laws put on the books that treat a fetus as a full human being for purposes of the law. So let me just give you one of the latest examples. It's quite alarming. This is a CNN.com article that was published on Monday, December 12th. Headline, lawsuit challenges a Texas rule requiring burial for aborted fetuses. There is a rule in Texas in effect now that requires aborted fetuses be buried, just like a normal human being. And now there's this lawsuit that's challenging it. Good for the people who are challenging it. And let me tell you why. Because years ago, I read this book. I was asked to review this book. It was written by someone named Hadley Arks, and I've put a link to it in the program notes. The book is called Natural Rights and the Right to Choose. And in that book, Arx lays out this plan for overturning Roe versus Wade. And one of the things that you want to do is you want to basically make the balancing test that was done in Roe versus Wade, because it wasn't an issue of rights. It was just an issue of interests, the interest of the woman, the interest of the state. And one of the things that they looked at when you were looking at the interest of the state is the extent to which the state would treat a fetus as a human being. And how do you see that? You see how many laws are on the books in which a fetus is required to be treated as a human being. Boom, here's an example of it, where you require aborted fetuses to be buried just like normal dead human beings. Um, this needs to be defeated just not to put another little brick in that wall, you know, that's going to allow Roe versus Wade to be overturned. This definitely could happen under a Trump presidency. In the article that I read the other day, there's women going to CVS and they're all buying Plan B and everything and they're stocking up on it. Some of them are buying it and then giving it to Planned Parenthood to keep in stock because they're concerned that the availability of contraceptive and also, you know, like I said, abortion is, is going to be taken away. Uh, Rob Abiera sent an article, and you can check that out as well, Meet the New Christian Right, same as the Old Christian Right. This is also on the theme. We could have included evangelicals as, as part of today's show, but I don't have time to go into it here. Maybe we're going to revisit this theme in the future because the extent to which Trump turns into the evangelicals candidate because he doesn't have concern for our rights and he's being swayed by them, it's, it's a real concern. 
uh, have the energy deals. You know, I guess we're going to have to take up on a future show because there is such a huge debate around it. This dubbing Trump an Ayn Rand acolyte says he's stacking his cabinet with fellow objectivists. You know, it's so easy to find people who have read Ayn Rand. Like I said, my favorite band, the lead singer, Haley Mary, she read Atlas Shrugged and called Dagny Taggart a badass. And I would say that, you know, the amount of influence that Rand has had, uh, small amounts on many, many people, it doesn't mean that he's got objectivists there. It doesn't mean that any of his policies should be ascribed to objectivism. And yet we're seeing, because of media smears like this, a danger that they're going to be. And then finally, in the program notes, check out Amazon Prime Air. Amazon Prime Air is the thing that we've talked about on this show in the past, that they will deliver using a drone, a package to you. It's awesome. If Donald Trump goes after them, it's going to be criminal because they are achieving and innovating and delivering service, and they are deserving the market share that they have. Everyone, I'm out of time. If you want to continue the discussion, go to the blog, don'tletitgo.com. You can also follow me. I have three different social media that I take part in. I'm over on Instagram at Don't Let It Go. I'm on Twitter at Amy Peacock. And then on Facebook, you can either follow me I've got a you know personal page and I post a lot of news publicly and stuff and we can have a discussion there. Similarly, you can also follow me on Facebook at the Don't Let It Go Unheard page. So those are all the different places. Don'tletitgo.com, of course, is the hub. So do go there. Do check out the program notes and do watch that Edward Snowden Periscope. I, I encourage you. It's, it's really, I think, an irreplaceable experience to see a hero have such equanimity about the decisions that he's made, even if it's going to result in his death. It's quite moving. So take care, and I will talk to you next Monday, same time.